0: This is Things That Really Matter, a podcast by global multidisciplinary engineers, Kundal, that is dedicated to creating new and innovative solutions for the built environment and driving the agenda towards a more sustainable future. Join us as we discuss the challenges and changes that affect the built environment around the world with the brightest minds in our industry. Firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land. We are sitting here in Gadigal land, the Biora Nation, and I pay my respects to the Elders, both past and present. Joining me today is Ruben. Ruben is the head of Asia-Pacific for GREZ, the Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark. Ruben has extensive experience in ESG and real asset investment sector and has been working in the Asia-Pacific region for the last decade, he previously worked at funds managers and multinational consultancies in the Netherlands, Hong Kong, and Singapore. Ruben can't sing but doesn't tr- and doesn't try. I won't. <laughs> Pardon?
1: I won't, trust me.
0: <laughs> You're welcome to, to start singing if you want to. Uh, can barely play the trumpet, but he does anyway. And he holds master's degrees in building engineering and in real estate investments. Welcome, Ruben.
1: Thank you. That's a great intro.
0: It's an absolute pleasure to finally be here speaking with you. My wife. So I wanted to open by saying you've been here with Grez for the last 10 years. Is that right?
1: Correct. Hmm.
0: Yeah. What does Grez mean for you?
1: It's a great question. I mean, it's been a very big part of my life, but also my ambition to make sure that the estate industry provides positive outcomes for society, individuals, businesses and of course the economy. Um, so what has Cresp been for me? I think it's been a very interesting roller coaster. When I joined, uh, we were with six and a half people and now we're with 90. <clears throat> Still a relatively small team, but um, yeah, we've been able to, to grow our reach and impact quite well, especially in the last five, six years, I would say.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, it's really been a joy not just to be part of I'd say that development and growth, but also to see the positive impact that organization has been making in the financial industry.
0: And mm. um, could you give us an example of the sort of positive impact that you're seeing on the ground? Maybe a little insight, yeah. something more in <laughs> detail.
1: Sometimes it's, it's, it's small things, right? And, and even just awareness around you know, what ESG is, uh, especially in markets that are less mature compared to, for example, uh, here in Australia. Um, it's really interesting to see the growth of awareness and understanding that ESG is not just an optional add-on or even a nuisance that might cost you money, but the understanding that it actually will help you, you know, create better outcomes via your uh, operations, of course, for real estate, via the buildings that you offer to tenants. Um, and, and I think that in itself, that awareness is just so important. Uh, when I joined GRASP, I think, and I was living in Singapore, uh, many buyers that I spoke to, um, with all due respect, but they probably didn't even know uh, how to spell ESG. And uh, <laughs> when I introduced myself, hey, I'm Ruben from GRASP, or Grasby as we said back in those days. Mm. He said, are, are oh, you I in Grisby. that?
0: Grisby. Grisby. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I said, "Like, are, are you in leisure? Like, no, I Frisbee? Frisbee? Oh, Frisbee? Fris- no, 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 GRASP, GRASP, GRASP.
0: I mean, five to 90 is such a huge leap. Yeah.
1: Still small though, on a on global scale. Again, when I, when I explain to people, okay, so we're now with 90, but as you mentioned, 180 institutional investors,
2: mm. um,
1: over 2000 real estate portfolios, both you know, listed REITs, funds, that report to to GRASP, uh, about a thousand infrastructure funds and, and assets. Uh, that's big, right? That's big. Mm. But again, we. We, we just facilitate the industry to allow themselves to better understand what ESG is about and then to share best practices so they can be adopted.
0: I, I'm going to pull on that, that hmm. word facilitate because certainly I know in my experience, 2018 was a fantastic example where Gresb made the decision to mandate Scope 3 reporting. Hmm. And we saw almost a bifurcation of approaches where you had Within my organisation, uh, an absolute domino of nods across the table. Yep, we're going to have to go to scope three. Let's let's just focus our efforts yeah. on scope three. In part, we were doing it anyway, but it was an acceleration of that work. Yeah, and then we had other organisations. Uh, decide that they were going to pull their Gresp reporting and try and get their house in order first before they decided to report the next time round. You're shaking your head, Riven. Only one. Oh, only one. <laughs> only one. Fair. Firstly, I think that is a an indication of the influence that Gresp had, had and continues to have. Arguably, that decision has now positioned a lot of the funds managers and the reporters. Yeah. To be able to now disclose and set targets against the um, SBTI frameworks for net zero. I take it that you are aware of the level of influence that GRESP has in the industry, but when I talk to you about that, it's there seems to be a sort of reluctance around, well, we're just really helping people understand. Well, it's true, right? I mean, we're, it, we're
1: just um, a very small piece of, uh, of the entire puzzle. Um, and, and, and I mean, when I say like it, it's a, it's a joint effort, it truly is. So mm. as GRASP, we were um, founded by a number of institution investors that want to better understand how the investment managers um, use their capital to create those positive outcomes or reduce harmful outcomes.
2: Mm.
1: And so we've always applied an investor or an asset owner's lens to the GRASP standards, uh, which are now owned by the Independent GRASP Foundation. Um, the foundation exists of our stakeholders. So there's the large asset owners, including many of the um, super funds here in Australia. Um, There's property groups, uh, private fund managers and so on that collectively decide, you know, what is material. And for asset owners, it is increasingly important to understand the environmental footprint of their indirect portfolio, Mm. which includes everything. Right, uh, mm-hmm. and they understand that sometimes, as a building owner, you might not have operational control. So, scope three is something separate. We definitely understand the challenges, and for example, here in Australia, the legal challenges around, let's um, uh, say, the legal framework of, of uh, leases. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we at least want you to to try. And and as a landlord, yeah, you are responsible in the end for the buildings that you manage and own. Uh, so, try to get to the data. Um, and we've some, seen some truly great examples in the Australian market as well,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, where due to this pressure, um, there's been lots more tenant engagement, uh, use of specific green lease classes yeah. to get to that data, but also, again, to educate the tenants in terms of you know, allowing them to understand what they can do to reduce, in this case, for example, energy consumption. Yeah, we're seeing issues.
0: way more partnerships from the owner, yeah. Yeah. asset manager, tenant to facilitate access to that data as well and so absolutely I think it's um, I'm hearing from you that although the organization is aware of its influence really a function of the stakeholder engagement that you're engaging in Definitely. to be able to come up with some of these decisions yeah. for the organizations that do decide look we're going to they may be either reported in the past and or they've and are not reporting this year, or they're thinking about reporting, but they're a little bit reluctant.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's give them a little ins- bit of insight of what are they missing out on when they're not disclosing? A press. lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Tell us about um, it. Yeah, definitely I think when, when we look at our current, let's say, coverage of, of uh, the markets, um, the leaders are all reporting to GRASP and have been doing so for a long time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the GRASP results have shown that no matter where you are on your journey, having those kind of actual insights in terms of what is best practice and where are the gaps in terms of our internal policies, processes and actions really helps them to identify as opportunities for improvements mm-hmm. and then to implement those improvements, uh, which also allows them um, you know, to have more meaningful stakeholder engagement with, um, let's say, for example, their investors or uh, their supply chain, for example, the tenants, um, their own employees, community and so on. So, again, it's, it's almost like um, it's a bit of a combination between um, a reporting framework where you just go through all you know, the different indicators that are deemed to be material. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also allows you to have a look at your scorecard. So, hey, how well are we doing on all this stuff? And um, are we truly walking the talk? And you can have a great policy, um, I know, social impact. But if there's no actions tied to that policy and you're not measuring the outcome, then, hey, now that, that's a serious question mark in terms of is it truly a policy that has an intention mm. and a purpose or is it just something that's there to, to tick a box? So with our assessment, we're trying to uh, really look at, let's say, the entire scope of ESG within an organization. And again, uh, the assets that are being managed. Uh, And so having that kind of level of insight allows you to just be better able to to improve and to become a leader, Mm -hmm. even though you're just starting your green journey. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we often see there's a bit of reluctance like, oh, yeah, we're under this big magnifying glass called Grasp. Uh, We're being benchmarked and scored. Yes, and that's all true, but that's not in the end what it's about, right? It's about getting those actual insights and being then able to have an informed decision, mm. making process around what should we do next. So, mm. uh, yeah, I would say if you're if you're out, uh, it's never too late to get get in and get on board the grass train. <laughs> um, but I guess increasingly, with asset owners as well as regulators also uh, scrutinizing what organizations are doing, I think that that's like a, a, a very important piece of information insight to have.
0: It really is driven by a fear of being seen, isn't it? And potentially the scrutiny, and the fear of if 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 GRESB is in part a benchmarking experience for the members that report to it.
2: Yeah,
0: it's that. Anxiety around, okay, how are we going to level up against our competitors? And and to be be fair, I mean, that is one of the great, your recent survey uh, of your uh, members and investment community, one of the clear signals that came out of that was that there is a significant majority of investors that do use GRESP as a benchmarking exercise, as, as a way of assessing their investment opportunities so it's sort of like well yes that is happening and we still want you to report anyway and be seen
2: yeah
0: and it is part of it a little bit let's get you in and then you you'll be able to then be able to measure yourself against oh yeah absolutely your community yeah Yeah, and then see what it is that you need to do to improve
1: yeah so, I mean, we're trying to make the hurdle to get in as low as possible. So we have a grace period, which means, uh, okay, you just report on your first year. None of our investor members will be able to request access. So right. I, that's always at your discretion, but they can't even request. So it's first year under the radar screen, you know, dipping your toes into the grass water, trying to make sense of, you know, this another reporting framework and process. Uh, and then, of course, really being able to learn from that and then entering to the second year, being able to also hopefully uh, um, include some of your um, improvement programs based on those first year results, Mm
2: -hmm. and then
1: um, being able to disclose your results to your investors as well. The the, the thing is, it's a benchmark. So by definition, there's always 50% of the entire universe that outperforms and 50% that underperforms. Mm -hmm. For investors, it's not an issue if you, let's say, start at a low grasp score or rating. They will, of course, you know, um, uh, incentivize you to do better. Uh, and as long as you can show that you're making genuine efforts to improve, mm-hmm. they're fine. They're fine. It's not like they will divest because, hey, you, know, you haven't mm-hmm. uh, know, upgraded your, 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 uh, your light, uh, light program yet. It, it's more about what within the context of your operation and your portfolio Makes sense for you to do, and then what's the time frame that we can agree on? So it's it's uh, again, it's very much about engagement rather than hey, you scored you scored quite poorly. Uh, that's not okay. That, that's not how uh, how they they will treat their investment managers.
0: Brilliant. I, I love the notion of a grace period. I, I don't think everyone knows about that. So in the first year, you've got your grace period. You can get your your house in order as much exactly. as you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Now for the for the groups that have been reporting year upon year, that we are just a- entering into the throes. I think somebody said yesterday at a conference that they're mad hatting their way through mm. the GRESP disclosures now, trying to s- sort themselves out. What do members that are disclosing this year need to know about this year's disclosure?
1: Uh, first of all, it is very similar. The standards have been updated, but they are mostly very similar to last year. Cesar, uh, Part of our standard development process which happens on the foundation so we have a foundation board uh, two independent uh, standard committees um, they've prioritized some ESG topics um, and have said you no know, that's the direction the standards new, would need to involve to that's also which very much based yeah, it's very right. much based on um, uh, a stakeholder program we ran to redefine the purpose of the standards. So what's the vision and what what purpose should the standards serve? Um, And obviously, and perhaps unsurprisingly, the most important topics still are climate and transitioning to net zero. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and we've been able to to cover that in the standards and such in the assessments themselves, but not to a degree yet where uh, we're able to meet the needs of our stakeholders. As a response to that, we said, let's uh, speed up the development process around net zero. Um, But net zero, I mean, it's a rabbit hole, right? I mean, as soon as you jump into the rabbit hole, indeed, you're um, confronted with different scopes, different reporting uh, periods and and mechanisms and approaches. Um, You know, what about uh, additionality? What about offsets? Mm. And so, in order for us to evolve our assessment of net zero practices or being aligned with uh, science-based targets, targets, Um, we set up two net zero working groups, one for real estate and one for infrastructure, to um, redefine a global, standardized definition of what net zero constitutes. Uh, And they've just reported to our uh, Senate committees, and as such, the 2024 changes to the assessment uh, we'll see some uh, uh, quite important improvements in terms of how we assess the, the topic of Net Zero and also how we then uh, acknowledge excellence in Net Zero.
0: Excellence in Net Zero. Tell me more about that. Um,
1: so well, we're talking that, about 2024, yeah, 2024. in so the next release. That's that's, um, that's work in progress. So mm-hmm. um, uh, we'll definitely provide more information in our upcoming roadmap for the standards. Mm-hmm. Some of the other things we're looking at is how to better assess uh, risk management practices. So obviously uh, uh, physical risk, Mm -hmm. transition risk, uh, also other kinds of risks in relation to climate. Um, And then on the social side, um, issues such as diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, community impact, definitely some topics that we would like to um, uh, zoom in onto. And on governance, also, some, some more general uh, issues as well. For infrastructure, interestingly, um, for example, cybersecurity is an important upcoming topic. And uh, so again, we're looking at you know, what are other initiatives out there doing, and then um, rather than us reinventing the wheel, let's see if we can use those standards or indicators and metrics and adopt them.
0: Got you, so are we then expecting some alignment to existing standards that are out there, ISSB,
2: uh, Definitely, or yeah, yeah. That yeah. Sort of stuff. So, so
1: we've we've always had an approach where, and we convene the real asset industry stakeholders, and um, ask them to determine what is material, so, so what should be the scope of of the standards, and how should at different best um, practices be acknowledged. What we haven't done really is then, okay, you know, we're gonna we're gonna. Uh, invent our own indicator and metric. Instead, we've looked at other frameworks, so uh, any PRI, SESB, CDP, a couple of other ones, and borrowed some of those indicators and metrics and made them fit for purpose, specifically for the real asset investment industry. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So with um, ISSB, and, and we have good relationship with all of these different initiatives, uh, obviously, they will launch their S1 and S2 frameworks uh, later this year. Uh, those will definitely also inform the further development of the GRASP standards.
0: Mm. Yeah. And talk to me along those lines around the TNFD, the Task Force for Nature and Financial Disclosures. Obviously, that's been... We're looking at that coming on yeah. as, a, as a key theme. And I think we're still to some extent, beginning to crawl before we can run. But mm. tell me a little bit more about how GRESP anticipates yeah. its consideration of biodiversity. I think crawling crawling
1: isn't too bad. <laughs> I mean, if you're just well, learning how to it. walk. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: Um,
1: again, having talked to many of our investor members, mm. it's clear that nature and biodiversity in terms of protection and restoration is getting quite an important um uh, place in their agendas as well. And when you look at the similarities between climate and biodiversity in nature, and nature, of course, the two are intertwined. I think with climate, the financial industry has now been primed to think about what was once considered a purely environmental issue to now look at it from a financial risk perspective. And how that you know, might create instability of our financial systems and as such also uh, adversely impact investment returns, which directly impacts their fiduciary duty, which is not just to uh, act in the best interests of their beneficiaries, but also to uh, to meet those return targets. So now that we've been primed to think about ESG issues and risks as tangible material and financial risks, um, we see that the Immaturity on topics such as nature and diversity is really starting to evolve quite quickly, mm-hmm. um, especially you know with uh, TFND coming up and um, some other frameworks initiatives as well. So here we had the Office of uh, Green Building Council Australia; they are working on a, a roadmap for nature-positive buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so again, you know, we, we're talking to them. We're talking to other initiatives around the globe to ensure that whatever we capture is uh, captured in a way that is applicable and relevant for the real estate industry.
0: Yeah, and a big part of organizations like the GBCA and GRESP is showing what it looks like on the ground. How do do we translate these big themes of climate change and nature and demonstrate what leadership looks like, providing a flag for what leadership looks like.
1: And it's and it's complex. Uh, and, and you know, I mean, you have a, a biodiversity or nature backgrounds. Um, it's it's super complex, right? What what is your uh, influence? How do you look at nature? How do you measure, you know, the, the, the restoration of natural habitat? Um, I mean, yeah, as I mentioned, you know, climate and and carbon emissions are rabbit hole. I think,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, no pun intended, but nature also can be quite a rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. So we need to understand, you know how our industry can um, understand its impact and then again either reduce harmful impacts or help restoration of, of nature um, and again I mean it always makes sense to look at what the leaders in that space are doing and then to see okay so if that's that can be considered as practice can we more or less acknowledge that in our grasp assessment and then ask other parties to Uh, report on what they're doing on the same uh, actions or processes within the organisation.
0: Speaking of that, what do you think will differentiate those which are leading GRESP this year versus, say, the last few years?
1: One of the major challenges is is data and data gaps. Mm -hmm. So so we talked about the ability to get tenant data for energy or water or, or waste streams. Um, so the leaders in that space are implementing better processes to collect data, to ensure that the data has been verified and is of high quality, mm-hmm. um, and probably also to, to make reporting more um, foolproof. So we've seen quite a couple of um, SaaS companies that have partnered up with us, have asked us to get access to our APIs. So if they're already collecting data at the asset level, to automate that reporting into our portal,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that's really taking taking off. So yeah, we see an increasing number of what we call data partners that are helping those leaders, you know, with uh, not just on the ground insights in terms of you know what data is available um, for a building and and allowing them to have a dashboard to understand real time what's happening, mm-hmm. but also to allow for um, let's say verified data to enter into our portal in an automated way.
0: Ah, so do you see in the future there might be an opportunity to see a live race between all the different contenders? Who the knows, members yeah, and- <laughs> yeah, who knows, yeah.
1: I think, uh, I think a live score, let's say an unvalidated live score race in is the portal very would, be very, would be very cool for people to have like, hey, you know, wait a minute, okay, so this year we can only, you know, claim this, this part of the answer. Points, yeah. But if we next year we also, you know, take this one, that you know has a massive improvement on our social score or, or governance score. So, yeah, definitely, I would I would like people to have a better understanding of you know how all of this works and have like a live feed of hey you know we are thinking about implementing a new policy um I don't know ground or air pollution you know what does it mean to our to our grass score what does it do to our to our rating absolutely sure. yeah uh,
0: and I guess the follow up question to that would be we're in this situation where okay. There is a critical mass mm. of reporters of members now looking to disclose. Is there a risk of getting mired in disclosures? So
1: absolutely, yeah, yeah, no, and and and, and, again, and
0: away from performance for Yeah, instance,
1: yeah, too. no, and, and we we hear that every now and then. Like, hey, you know, it takes quite some uh, efforts and resources to fill out the assessment. Shouldn't be spending those resources on, any, you know, actions and and actually, you know, focusing on performance? Mm-hmm. So yeah, obviously, um, and again, it's something that we are very aware of. So we're trying to um, we're trying to make the reporting burden as low as possible. So if you already reported last year, many of your uh, answers that have been changed in the standards will be pre-filled. Um, some other efficiencies that uh, participants can use, but in the end, as I mentioned, you know, first you have to understand what's happening, and as such, you need to collect the data. You need to then interpret the data in terms of what does it mean, and then it can inform your actions, and not the other way around. Mm. Right? So, um, yeah, definitely. Also, coming back to your question, the leaders probably have a, a um, like a circular approach or process almost like ISO, plan, uh, check, do, act. Mm. Um, check, do, act. Plan. Plan, check, yeah.
0: do, check,
1: Plan, do, act. check, act. Yeah, yeah. Plan, do, check, yeah, act. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Mm. Um, and, and so we're, we're trying to, to capture the same elements as well. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, you can say, hey, we've been able to reduce our uh, energy consumption, water consumption, et cetera. That's great, but was it an intentional outcome? So show us the targets that you've set. Mm. show us um, the, the, the strategy and how, how does it fit into your broader ESG or even organizational yes. strategy.
0: Is it excellence or an accident?
1: Exactly, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so we're trying to acknowledge excellence. And, mm. and uh, excellence, if they're positive, <laughs> they're great, but they are pretty um, difficult to, to, uh, to replicate. Mm. So I would say the leaders are definitely, you know, they've, they've understood that no, this is an integrated process and um, as such, part of that is the reporting um, work that, that, that comes with it. But also we've seen that quite a number of the leaders have built their whole reporting and data collection around the GRASP process. So rather than this being uh, a nuisance or something else to do, let's so say, okay, let, let's put, let's say, our GRASP participation and your participation central. Mm. What does it mean for our data collection processes, for the software platforms? for different people being involved in, you know, reporting what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so that integrated approach definitely in itself could be considered best practice.
0: The integrated approach. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And I wonder then, Ruben, how do we transition from focus on disclosure to a focus on performance, recognising that we really do need to actually get disclosure right first? Is there a room or scope for... GRESP to find maybe a, an alternative an additional benchmark where you're looking purely at performance? Or do you see that just as a natural evolution of where GRESP is going?
1: Uh, absolutely is. So, and so what we did back in 2020 is we restructured the assessment for the first time mm-hmm. into two main components. Um, A management component that looks at all your actions around disclosure and policies and your governance. And a performance component to capture the actions that would lead to better outcomes and, of course, the outcomes and impacts themselves. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Again, the the ambition and and, um, the objective is there to further measure outcomes or performance outcomes. But as mentioned, no, regarding specifically uh, carbon emissions and at zero, it's very challenging to do that at the global scale um, with metrics that are relevant and applicable across many different property types, different jurisdictions, jurisdictions, exactly, different weather, exactly. Yeah. All of yeah, those yeah. Things, yeah. So uh, we we, we mm. would have loved to move faster mm. to truly measure and acknowledge. Outcomes, performance outcomes, but um, it's it's very challenging. And uh, again, with the with the establishment of the foundation and its different governance groups, it's in the hands of the industry, hands of the industry. And I think it's also was a great learning moment for them to see how difficult it can be to create consensus and something mm-hmm. that we all understand and speak about on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. But okay, so, but how do we then actually standardize that? and express that in a metric that can be compared and benchmarked and scored.
2: Yeah. And,
1: and, and uh, I guess no, that's in essence, is what Cresp is about. Uh, but it's, it's challenging, especially because you know, the language of ESG has evolved so much. Uh, we, we, we were established when there was no common language for the real asset industry. Mm. Um, but now there's many dialects and, and different things that are happening within the ecosystem that we operate in. Mm. And so we really have to catch up to understand know what's happening and how to then appropriately uh, incorporate that in the in the standards and assessments. So, uh, uh, yeah, never a dull moment.
0: Never a dull moment, exactly. It's like every day we wake up and there's mm. a new guideline for yes. disclosure. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Hey, everyone. Didn't Ruben have some fascinating things to say about Cresp and this year's submission? Because we even had so many interesting things to say about the future of Grey we've decided to split this into part one and part two, so stay tuned and click on the link. This is a podcast by Kundle. We're a carbon neutral business committed to achieving zero carbon design on all our projects by 2030. To work with us and help us achieve our goals, visit Kundal.com.